0: We've talked about loss before here on the Isle of Misfits, even the loss of life. And if I recall, it was in the context of how do you deal when loss comes your way? But today's guest is someone who has asked a different question. And that question is this, how do you help those facing the loss of their lives live? That's a big question. And I know you'll want to hear the answer. And though it might sound a little otherworldly, which is my way of telling you there were some reverb issues, I assure you, she's really just a normal person with an extraordinary story. So, keep listening. We all experience loss. It's unavoidable. But... Of course, there's many ways of dealing with loss, as as there are people dealing with it. But today, we're here to talk with someone who is well acquainted with the subject of loss and get some insight from her about the very special way she has chosen to deal with it. Her name is Corey Salkert, and she's a nurse by profession who lives in Wisconsin with her husband and her very large family. She has eight biological children and seven children that have come via adoption and foster care. And she's written a book called I Will Love You Forever. So first of all, I would just like to give you a very warm welcome, Corey, to the Isle of Misfits.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You are so welcome. We're so glad to have you here. And as I hinted, you, you have this incredibly unique ministry that I can't wait to talk to you about. Um, and when I say ministry, you know, it's it's one of those words we hear, you know, we, we kind of throw this word around, especially those of us in the church crowd. Um, and sometimes we don't even really stop to think, well, what does that word mean? Um, so just to break it down, what we're really talking about when we say ministry is basically just serving and caring for people. But in your case, you have a very specific way that you do it. You're serving and caring for people who are near the end of their lives. And yeah. not only that, but a very particular demographic. So tell us a little bit about this demographic that you're serving.
1: Well, we do medical treatment, uh, foster care and adoption. And our, uh, our particular niche, because of my hospice background, is caring for babies and now kiddos, whatever, that uh, are terminally ill or have a lethal anomaly, or a uh, diagnosis that means that they won't live a natural lifetime.
0: So, okay, so for many of us, what you're talking about, you know, we spend a lot of time and energy doing everything we can to avoid loss, let alone let alone the finality of death, right? And, you know, and when it comes up, we're quick to say things like, oh, don't talk that way, and you know, we don't want to go there. And yet, here you are. You're not just not running away from it, but in a real sense you're you're embracing it and I have to say that's that's intriguing to me so I want to know how did this come to be
1: Well, I would like to just say something here real quickly um yesterday was a was a fairly tough day with our fourteen year old who was terminally ill mm-hmm. and um so you know, things had settled down by about 8 o'clock, and we weren't headed to the hospital. Um, my 18-year-old came home with a pizza because he works at a pizza shop, and so we were sitting at the table, and um, our 16-year-old and 18-year-old, and my husband and I were eating this, eating this pizza and just chatting about this, that, the other thing, and the subject came up that my 16-year-old is going to a funeral tomorrow night mm-hmm. um, with... Uh, one of her teachers from school and this funeral is for an 11-year-old who committed suicide um, last week mm-hmm. so when i don't want anybody to get the perception that you know i always run arms wide open you know towards the danger um i changed the subject last night you know it came up that yes she's going to go to this funeral on tuesday and this is what happened and because i was just done for the day yesterday. I did not (laughs) take that moment to um, explore my children's feelings about that and, you know, what are you thinking, and um, I could have, but I chose to kind of change the subject, and we went on to something else. It's not that I don't have in-depth conversations with my children about this kind of thing. I just was finished yesterday. So by no no means should anyone get the get the perception that I just, you know, somehow am made out of steel and that, you know, it doesn't ever get overwhelming and exhausting for me. Uh, quite frankly, yesterday, um, early afternoon, I was not sure we have a child right now that um, is foster. And so we're not able to make medical decisions for him. And so henceforth, we have to, in spite of his terminal condition, we have to run back and forth to the hospital anytime he, you know, kind of takes a dive, which is exhausting for our family. However, if we just don't want all of the the political aspect of it, we could just say, you know, that we don't want you, and the child would be left with no one really. You know, that's that's by his side and advocating for him, um, like mom, and so he's not he's not the problem, and he's not the. Uh, The issue, and he still needs to be taken care of, and so we continue on with that. But I was having some anxiety over, you know, I don't want to wait too long, but I don't want to jump too quick because sitting in the emergency room for eight hours only to have them say there's nothing here to fix and I'll take him back home—you just you weigh that out. And my husband sent me to my room and said, Mm -hmm. "You need to go take a nap." I lay down, and as I climbed into bed, I just said, "You know what? I need wisdom." And you and God has said that if you need wisdom, then ask for it, and then He's not going to give you a hard time and say you idiot. What? Don't, why don't you know this? And um, because you know, my bladder wakes me up very quickly. And you know, it was only a few minutes later that I woke up, and in my news feed, um, I saw an article uh, through DesiringGod.org, and it was. Um, by this woman who has, has had multiple physical issues, et cetera, and she had written this article, and it was called When God Gives You the Miracle You Didn't Ask For. And it was, the gist of the article was that we want to be delivered. And there is the aspects for my husband and I right now that, you know what, we would kind of like to be able to be delivered. And, and have this come to a close and not be hanging out there, and, and, uh, but that the miracle may come in the fact that you're sustained.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so my prayer is absolutely, you know what, God, take this, this young boy home. I know that his days are numbered, and if that day is not today, then I need you to continue to sustain me. And there is an aspect of it, again, I'm going to be really honest here, that there's a song called I Will Carry You and um, that, you know, Jesus is giving praise to the one who, who has given him the ability or the, the, um, the privilege of carrying that mom while she carried a baby that was not going to live outside of the womb or not for very long anyway. And so that song is a favorite of mine. However, the Footprints poem and that song is very romantic until you have to do it. And I chafe at being carried. And I have had very frank discussions with God, and I've said, you know what, that sounds lovely that you knew it. it was then that I carried you. And you think, oh, how sweet. There is an incapacitating aspect of having to be carried that, I want to get down on my own two feet and i want to say you know i'm really glad that you're there however i have some reasonable belief that i'm going to be able to go about my day and do what i need to do Mm -hmm. and god has put us in a position right now where day after day in order to be able to do this and do it well we are constantly in need of his sustaining us And I don't always like to be so needy, Mm -hmm. but as Vanessa had brought up in this article, when we are asking for deliverance, we are asking in part so that we're not so dependent upon God. We want to be able to be independent, and that is so true.
0: Oh, wow. That's powerful. That's powerful.
1: That is where I'm finding myself right now, and and I sound a little bit more flat, you know, when you called, just because (laughs) it's been a hairy, right? Well,
0: given, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So here's here's what I'm hearing from you, Corey. I'm hearing you say, all right, I am not Superwoman, like you said, I'm not made of steel, okay? But you, so here you are. You're you're, I'll put in quotes, a regular person, right? I just say, you know, and. Uh, I'm not even going to say average, but, you know, your regular mom who is learning how to access something bigger than yourself. Like you said, that sustaining grace. And even to say sustaining grace, that that sounds like, you know, that's a romanticized phrase, too, yeah. right? Oh, I mean, who doesn't grace? want
1: sustaining grace yeah. until you, right. if right. you don't have it, you're not going to make it.
0: Right. Right. right, right. So that's that's what I'm hearing. And so that kind of circles back to my sort of the, the question that started this this part of the conversation is, you know, how did this come to be? Because I'm not saying you like, oh, yes, bring it on, bring the loss on, but you're not running from it. You are dealing with it, with the pain, with the messiness, with the heartache. Um, where, where most of us, I would say, if we're very honest, we just don't want to. If we don't have to, yeah, we would all choose deliverance. We would all choose the healing. We would all choose the happy ending. But here you are in the midst of it. So I still want to come back to this. So how how did you even come to this?
1: Um, that's uh, quite multifaceted, and it would certainly be you know ad- addressed in my book. Let me give you a couple of um, reasons. Okay, one of them, so we're going back to my childhood. Uh, my little sister was um, spinal meningitis when she was four months old. Was profoundly mentally uh, retarded after that, and that was the retarded meaning delayed. And that was the term that was used back in 1969, um, and uh, she lived with our family and was still cared for by my by my mom primarily until she was five years old. And then at that point in time, given my dad's health crashed and uh, my mom was going to need to go back to work, and it just there were mitigating circumstances that ended up where Amy was moved to the American Fork Institute for the and Mentally Retarded in uh, American Fork, Utah. And uh, so she went and lived in this, this home. And I was nine years old at the time. And for me, again, and I, and I reiterate this in the book, it is something that for me she just disappeared, and I wasn't quite sure what was up. Um, I'm sure that an explanation was given to me probably multiple times, but for whatever reason, it just didn't sink in. What I took away from that was that you had better not be sick and you had better not cry or you will disappear and you will not see your family again. Because the thinking at that time was that my mom especially should not come and visit my sister because she needed to bond with her new caregivers and it would just be confusing for her. And so we were told not to come visit, um... We subsequently moved to Colorado after that so that my dad could um, pursue a different vocation. And uh, so, you know, the only time that we ever took vacation, it was to come back to Salt Lake and get you to know, see my sister. So it wasn't that we didn't ever see her or that we were jetting all over the place and that she was forgotten. But that created, and I think everyone struggles with it, mine just actually has a face in the name, uh, a fear of being abandoned. And so I have struggled for years with autoimmune diseases and whatnot, and I was sure that I was going to be abandoned if someone really, truly knew me. And um, that kind of fear that the enemy, and I'm meaning Satan, can hold over a heart that, you know what, you better watch it. You you either better totally, um, you know, be perfect or... You know what, you may as well be a total reprobate because people are going to leave anyway, so then you sabotage it. You know, We all have our ways of, of testing out to see whether or not someone's going to stay. Mm-hmm. And I really, truly believe that God in his redemptive process over the death of my sister, my sister died. She was at the Institute, and um, when she was 11 years old, they were having a picnic, and um, she was taken in to go to the bathroom, and she was able to do that on her own. And, um, but when she came out of the bathroom, she, she went out the wrong door and got off of the property and onto a golf course next door. And, um, and this was a Friday afternoon, beautiful day. They're having a watermelon picnic at the home, uh, and she wandered across that golf course and found a lake and drowned and i struggled with that and thought for years you know what and i and i and i threw that back in god's face and i said you know if you'd been there she wouldn't have died so there was just such a sense of abandonment that by the very one who i presumed would be there i felt was not and Honestly, okay, so then I'm, I'm 40 some years old and I heard the song by Selah Unredeemed. So they are a favorite (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. worship band for me um, that anything that's shattered that's laid before the Lord, just watch and see it will not be unredeemed. And I thought, there you go. Take this. I'm so sick and tired of living sick and tired and I'm tired of being wounded. And my perception is that you were not there. And, Through the process of even writing this book, I have laid that out for him again, and I've asked God, you know what, redeem this, redeem this, because I don't want to live wounded, I don't want to live angry, I do not want to live as though somehow at the time when I needed you most that you were not there. And through the process, God be thanked of writing this book, whether anyone else gets anything out of it, I certainly hope that they do. I was able to see that my sister honestly would not have died if if God had not been there because she should not have been able to get out of that home through locked doors. She shouldn't have been able to get off of a fenced property. She should not have been able to walk across a golf course on a beautiful Friday afternoon and not be seen by anyone. And my sister walked with a stagger. You know, she's very spastic, and, you know, it would have been obvious that she didn't belong there. Um, But she died. And so there has been a healing, and this is something that for this is for me. And I totally resonate with that woman in the New Testament that is like, you know what? You weren't there. Mm. You don't know. Yes. And when Jesus says that he brought, you know, that alabaster box here, I'm bringing this. You know what? It didn't matter whether anybody else was looking at her and saying, you know what? If he knew you, you wouldn't want her touching you, you know, kind of thing. This is is my God saying, Corey this would not have happened. I was not busy. I didn't look the other way. I didn't stand there and say, oh, I don't want this to happen. So while he might not have caused it, he purposed it. And my sister went home that day. She is not still drowning. She is not still struggling. She is whole and well. And I'm going to see her again. And what the enemy had used to sway and hold fear he that you know god doesn't give us a spirit of fear we know where that comes from but it can take so many different forms that you sometimes you can't even see it and god stepped in and said i was there and she's with me and i am in process of redeeming this in your life so my sister due to Her physical difficulties and the seizuring that she did all the time and the inability to really walk and take care of herself and how that got to be too much for my family um, had her placed in that home. And I have an empathy now because of my own physical health as well as my sister's for those that find themselves in a position where the ones that they thought were going to stay were not able to do that. And... So we advocate for these children who, because of their parents' inability or unwillingness to stay, need someone who will step in and say, I understand that you're going to die. I just want to make sure that you have a life before that happens, and I'm not going to turn away because I can't control whether or not you're going to live. I have learned in my life that I need to look at things and say, all right, what is just the way it is? And what do I have some say-so over? These children have a terminal diagnosis. I cannot change that. What I have some say-so over is whether or not they have a quality of life before they, before they pass away.
0: Oh, yes. There's, in fact, there's a quote, and I want to get to that in a second. But before I do, I want to go back to something you said that was so powerful about your sister. You said she's not still dying she's not still drowning and you know that's so important for for so many of us i don't know anyone really who hasn't in some way been touched by loss um um to get stuck in that moment and i can okay. say for myself that i've gotten stuck in those moments of some of the most painful moments you know you you kind of get stuck there and what you said is so powerful because for, especially for those that are in christ they're no they're they're not suffering they're not in that moment any longer. And it's so important for us to not live in that moment.
1: And I, and I do believe that, I, I do want you to know that the two kiddos that we have right now, um, Charlie and our foster kiddo, um, they have the potential to drown. And we would not be able to save them from that. So I kind of laid it out with Amy drowning and no one was there humanly to intervene, that I wanted to be able to affect good in someone else's life and that they wouldn't be alone and that that wouldn't happen. And I have two boys right now that due to their lung condition and their diseases that they have, um, they could drown right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And so that was a wrestling point, honestly. Okay, so here we are, Isle of Misfits, because this just, is so outside the box, and I'm a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And Mm -hmm. I laid out the ground rules, and I told God what it was that I thought was manageable and what I could do. Mm -hmm. And then he has brought these children in, and he has said, Corey, it's not enough for you to trust me for what it is that you think you can do because then that's not really trusting me. There's no sustaining grace necessary oh, wow. if you can manage this. He said, if you say that you don't want them to die this way, then you are saying you don't want them.
0: Mm, oh and that. And is,
1: that is not what I want to say. And so we live day to day knowing that we... Will attempt to intervene and clear the secretions in their lungs, but one of these times we are not going to be successful, you know, and they'll
0: die as a result. And what? Okay, so now let's talk about the next thing. So, you there's a quote, and um, I don't want to jump ahead because it, it was about a so, uh, specific uh, person named Emma Lynn, Um mm-hmm. but. Uh, the, here is the quote, and then I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about Emily. Um, You said, we didn't bring Emmeline home to die. We brought her home to live.
1: Tell us about Um She was going to die, and she was going to do that someplace. someplace. And, and our... Our perspective on it was not that we brought her home and then just kind of held vigil and sat and watched her in a darkened room and just waiting for her to pass away. Um, we did not do that. It wasn't. It was something that we were on a mission to provide a life for this child before she took her last breath and woke up in heaven. And so um, we did. We took her to the bank and to the beach and to the bookmobile have an oxygen tank. Have Baby Will Travel, and um, she lived more in those 50 days, I think, than, you know, some people have said that they've lived in 80 years. She went to a Wynonna Judd concert, she went to church, she went to picnics, you know. Wynonna um, Judd. Yes, why, yeah, because we had tickets to be able to go see Wynonna Judd, my girls and I. And um, That's fantastic. We took Emmalyn, and that was on a Saturday night, and she died the following Wednesday. So, you know, it was one of the, the last things that we did. And, no, she was not a normal newborn, and noise did not bother her because the concerts are loud. You know, she was fine through most of the concert, and at the end got a little bit antsy, so I just went and stood in the back and had her head tucked up underneath my chin and just swayed back and forth, and, you know, she settled right now. But that was something that we went on living doing what we did rather than just hunkering down and not, you know, going anywhere or doing anything. And in part we did that because I had attended a bereavement conference and a mom was talking about taking her little girl home, her baby, and didn't know how long she was going to live and they kind of hunkered down and she said, now, you know what, I wish we would have lived while she was living instead of being so focused on her dying. And I took that to heart, and I thought, all right, I'm going to live while she's living. There will be plenty of time to deal with her dying later.
0: Mm. That's just, that's so powerful. You know, and you're, you're, you know, you brought up some song lyrics, and I, it makes me think of a song that's not necessarily a, um, from a Christian artist, but a, certainly got a message, you know, the Martina McBride song about do it anyway. You know, you can spend yeah, your yeah. whole life building something from nothing. One storm can come and blow it all away. Do it anyway. And that's what yeah. you're talking about. You know like God, God moment, is great.
1: I hope you dance. dance.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. If you get the yes, 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 yes.
1: Sit it out or dance. I hope you dance. Yes,
0: that is the and other one. And so, yes.
1: That's that's kind of where we're at and and it may not look like it was worth anything, but I don't care.
0: Right, because the truth is it's it's worth so much more than we can even fathom because we don't see the whole picture. We see what's going on this side of eternity. Um but there's so there's so much more. Um Oh my goodness. Um, and now um, I know there's so much more I want to talk to you about. Um, I just really quickly tell us about Charlie.
1: Oh, Charlie is just absolutely marvelous, and um, he is going to be four in June, and I say that, um, he could certainly die today, but, you know, he's, uh, we're we're planning for a birthday in June, and um, we first started taking care of him when he was four months old, and uh, he has extensive brain damage, and so, um, you know, we were told he can't see, can't hear, and um that he was you know, basically vegetative and it's kinda of like, Well that's that's fine. Um I'm still gonna take him home and we're just gonna treat him like he's you know, can hear us and can see us so we don't make faces at him and we don't scare him and you know that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know what he sees when he sees us, but I do believe that he does. There's just too many evidences that he is able to see something so we don't mess with what that actually looks like there's no medical way to determine what it is that he sees and um so we treat him like he can see us we treat him like he can hear us and he most certainly responds to us and he is known um by us we know when he's off and someone else may look at him and think you know he's all off i don't know how it is that you can tell well you know what we can And um, I'm able to go head to toe when I take him into the doctor and say, okay, this is what's different, this is what's different. And we have been able to address the problems that he has, that he is nonverbal and he's not able to advocate for himself but because I know this baby. And and he would tell me now, you know, I am not a baby, I am a boy. So anyway, um, he he is almost boy. four and certainly uh, could die at any time because he has um, he has very weak, flaccid airways and they can collapse or fill up with secretions even while he's on the vent. And so that is something that we had to wrestle with. Okay, if we say we don't want him, no one's going to fault him for leaving him at the hospital and walking away and saying, no, you know what, this is more than what we want to deal with. We wouldn't be faulted. <laughs> but we have certainly believed that God has said, do you believe that I can step in and redeem this situation? That there is, we create space every single thinking day for the supernatural. If God did not step in and do what he does, then we would be lost. So by no means do we waltz into each day, and it is so humanly doable that, hey, the explanation is just there. No, there's a great deal of reliance on God. Grace is sufficient for you, and that his strength is made perfect in weakness.
0: Hmm. yeah and creating space for the supernatural I mean, I can only imagine there there have there there have had to be times when you've you've sensed that in a in a palpable way um
1: oh yeah yeah yes yeah, yes. just, just waking up, up yesterday, yesterday, after yesterday after that very brief nap, nap and having, having prayed for wisdom, wisdom and then getting beneath the article, article on, on we want deliverance because, deliverance because we want independence, independence. we don't I want don't to have, have to be constantly, it says, pray without ceasing, but we, we prefer to just do that kind of in theory, that it's not really right. a necessity, and right, you know right. what, God has created this necessity, so instead of chasing at that and wishing that it wasn't there, it's like, okay, embrace it, because at the end of the day, honestly, this is about these children, et cetera. but this is so much more about God wanting Relationship with me, with my husband, with my children, and us to know him and to be wanting to be so close that if he brings in super-difficult situations, that we're not running as fast and far away from as possible, but it's a matter of, I know that we're between a rock and a hard place, we're sitting at the Red Sea, but I know my God, and he is able to part the Red Sea, and so him giving me that article, and then the song by Sherry Easter, and it says, you know, this is hard, sometimes it feels like no one's ever been this place before, and she is praying at that point in time and she's telling god you know all the ways i need you you know all the ways i'm weak so i'll be quiet so you can hear my heart Mm -hmm. and that's one of my songs that i pray all the time because i don't know i don't know whether or not my child's actively dying or just flirting with it and so hear my heart. Just keep me sustained. What am I doing here? Let me know so I don't make mistakes, so that I don't make the wrong call, but that I'm not so caught up in needing to do it perfectly that I'm incapacitated by the fear of doing it less than perfectly.
0: Right, right. And oh, you're saying so many powerful things, Corey. You know, what you just said about, um, you know, this is not about, well, hey, no one's going to blame you if you if you can't do this, but it's, it's so much bigger than about avoiding blame or avoiding guilt or avoiding pain. This, you're talking about an invitation to something even greater that doesn't make sense in, you know, in, in so many senses of the word making sense. But, all right, I wanna, I'm going to explain it using your words because here's another quote um, that, that I, I lifted from you. Okay, so here's what you said. You said, I mean it with my whole heart when I say I love these children who have been given to us for just a little time on earth. And I will indeed love them forever. We invest deeply and we ache terribly when these kiddos die. But our hearts are like stained glass windows made of broken glass that has been bonded back together. Those windows are even stronger and more beautiful for having been broken. That's what you're talking about. It's, it's mm-hmm. unfathomable and yet it's real. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay, it is, so. and it could have been a fluke like with Emmalyn, but then we turned around and did it with Charlie, and now we're doing mm. it again <laughs> mm. with this fourteen-year-old. Mm. And we have had four other foster kiddos that you know just came to us medically needy and are doing wonderfully and have you know moved on. So it's not that we just do foster care for you know those that are terminally ill, but that that has been you know kind of our niche. Okay. We do it, do it on purpose. It's not accidental. Right. right.
0: It's intentional. Okay, so here's my question to kind of wrap this up. So what do we do with us? You know, we, we hear this inspiring story and we think, well, God, bless Corey. That's great, but she's special. I could I could never, you know. And so let's talk to that person. What What's the takeaway that you want people to get from your story?
1: The takeaway is, is that, you know what, there's probably something that you're really good at that somebody has said, you know, you're such an overachiever. And so then you kind of dumb it down so that they're not going to be irritated with you. But then how dumbed down do you have to be before they're going to be happy with you? Because you know what? Honestly, there are just some people that would just assume that you not exist. And then that wouldn't make them that would make them happy, but they think that it would. So mm-hmm. if we are talking to an, an audience here, the Isle of Misfits, then you know what? We are talking to people that probably excel in some areas, but then they have felt like I'm a square peg trying to fit in a round hole, and it irritates people when you do that because I certainly get on people's nerves with what it is that I'm doing because they could never do what I do, and they don't want to hear about it either.
0: Hmm.
1: But I am responsible before God to do with what it is that he's given me and there's always someone who's going to be unhappy with me and there's always someone who's going to think okay you know what that's great but if you're doing it for approval you're you're going to be in trouble because how many people need to think that you're amazing or you're terrific so before god it's a matter of okay do i have hurt Do I have woundedness here that I need redeemed? I'm going to lay it out there. I want you to redeem it. And he promises to do that. Now, you know, sometimes it might be a 40-year process, and it's not going to be today. But he says he gives wisdom. He says he gives strength. He says that he will restore, you know, the years of the locus of Eden. Well, you know what? So he says that faith is what pleases him. So let's, let's take him at his word, that he says that if he calls us to it, then he'll equip us and take us there. So whatever it is that is your battle in your life or your desire, your dream in your life, lay it out and say, God, I want to do something with this. I don't want fear to. I still am afraid. I just, just. Don't not do anything and double negative there. I don't hold back and don't and say no. I'm not going to do it because I'm afraid. It's a matter of like I, yeah. I can do this. Free. Yes. Yes. Be, be afraid and do it
0: anyway. Yes. Be afraid and do it anyway.
1: And don't let your life be dictated by. Well, I was too scared to do that. I was too scared to do that. It's like oh that that quote that says oh, but what if I fall? And I feel like God just says oh, but my darling, what if you fly?
0: Mm. Oh, Corey, what yeah, what powerful, what powerful words of encouragement you have for us. Thank you. Oh wow, thank you so much for sharing this. I, I feel like we could keep on talking. Um, we'd love to have you back on the program anytime you would like. Um, but let's tell people. So the book is called I Will Love You Forever. Um yeah, yeah. how all right, it comes out in March, right?
1: Um, It's already available uh, via Amazon.com. They've been shipping it out now for like the last week and a half. Um, It'll be in stores um, as of March 1st. Um, Barnes & Noble has it online as well as uh, Christian Book Distributors. So it's available in audio as well as uh, Kindle or uh, written format. So... You know, by all means, and this is a journey of how there has been great loss and great redemption. This is not a story about a, about, I am not a last girl. You know, it is not a story about this profoundly amazing woman. It is a story about redemption and how God uses flawed, ordinary human beings. But when you say yes... He can do some really amazing things through you.
0: Mm, When you say yes. So if you think this conversation has been encouraging, wait until you read this book. I can't recommend it enough. So uh, you know what to do, people. And, Corey, thank you so much for being with us today. And I do hope that we have a chance to speak again.
1: That would be great. Thank you so much.
0: God bless you. I think my favorite line was what Corey said at the very end. What if I fail? Oh, but my darling, what if you fly? That is powerful stuff, friends. And you can pick up a copy of I Will Love You Forever, which again, I highly recommend, on Amazon. And I'll tell you, uh, just Google her name and you'll find a bunch of articles and videos that tell more of her amazing story. And if you need help spelling her name, you can find it on theisleofmisfits.com. That's I-S-L-E of misfits.com as well as lots of other great podcasts and blogs about people and ideas to expand your world. Oh, and speaking of expanding, I told you we'd be making some exciting announcements. Well, I'm still in tease mode, but just know that in the coming days, you're gonna be hearing more